Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Free Reads. Today, we continue with the new Faye Hardaway case as she tries to retrieve the missing Hieronymus Bosch painting. Faye makes some progress on her investigation, but now that she is a mom, there are other matters that demand her attention. One of the things I was trying for in this and the last story, Men Are Trouble, is to show something of her when she is not detecting. I don't know about you, but my home life informs my writing life 24-7-365. If I have any criticism of my betters in the hard-boiled school of crime writing, it is that their protagonists are too often loners. If they have any external life, it's all too often bed-hopping. Wait a minute. Uh, Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe. He played a lot of chess, I think. Anyway, not only does Faye have to worry about larceny and murder, but she has to pick her kid up before daycare closes. And closing time is any minute now, so we better catch up with her before she knocks off for the day. And if Genevieve Achel is ready, here then is part two of The Last Judgment. Four. I grilled the bot, but he was no help. This one is regrettably uninformed in that matter. I didn't believe him, but I couldn't see an easy way to knock him off his story. When I discovered whatever it was that Toscana was keeping from me, I would shake him until his censors rattled. Why don't I trust bots? Because the devils made them. The grannies were crazy with grief and rage for years after the disappearance. Everything stopped. Lots of it burned. I grew up in that world of pain. I watched girls starve, their moms kill themselves. But giving us bots did not make up for what the devils took away. Still doesn't. Sure, bots keep the lights on, crops growing, and shelves stocked. They bury us when we die. There wouldn't be any damn economy without them, even though we're doing more for ourselves every day. But the devils never gave us the owner's manual for their bots. Supposedly they can't lie. But the truths they tell are often impossible to decipher. The bots bow and scrape, but everyone knows that they have their own agenda, which is doing the devil's work. I hate the devils. The bot shot me a pix of the Bosch and a vid of Anne Descano. She had been living with Maud up until a few months ago. He had a list of recent addresses for her, but couldn't say whether it was complete. Apparently she was skipping, so there was no guarantee she'd be at any of them. He gave me a call for her, too, Anne at Idlewood 03284 but said it always went to her message and that she never called back. So the fluff was playing hard to find. I suppose if I had to perch on the family tree next to Maud Descano, I would too. I didn't thank the bot and I didn't say goodbye. He was blathering something about his truest hopes for timely success when I closed the door behind me. I paused on the portico to check my sidekick and saw that Maud had already transferred the $200 retainer. That would make Sharifa happy. I'd been working a lot lately, but mostly for small beer and peanuts. If I could clear this case without having to ransack every skip house in the city, I could afford to take some time off, maybe bring the family down to Williamshead or Salt Bay. I opened the vid and got my first look at Anne Descano. She wasn't a fluff at all, but a Tommy, with a brown crew cut and big shoulders and an extra helping of muscle. She was wearing a Will Ill T-shirt, baggy pants, and black tanker boots. Either she was binding the hell out of her breasts or had had the double mastectomy. The vid showed her at a picnic that appeared to be in the backyard of the Descano mansion. She was throwing a football to some other Tommy while a group of bored Janes and grannies watched from a picnic table. 
As I biked back to my office, I thought about how I was going to take the painting away from her if she decided not to play nice. I've gone up against some rough company, but this Tommy looked like she could snap me in two and pick her teeth with the short end. So best be careful, Faye. And smart. It wasn't a bad plan, except that if I really were interested in being careful and smart, I would have taken up accounting. I locked the bike to a rack in front of 35 Market Street and climbed the three stories to Hardaway Investigative Services. I share the third floor with Crazy Martha, who is smarter than me and more careful. She is an accountant. My office is just two dull rooms, done in early yard sale style. I decorated it so I would have an incentive to spend as little time there as possible. I opened the sidekick, created a new folder on the desktop, and shot everything I had on the case into it. I poured myself a drink from the office bottle and made some voice notes about my meeting with Maud Descano. I thought mapping Anne's skip houses might be a good place to start. Maybe I could tease out some kind of pattern. But I couldn't. She had skipped to eleven different addresses around the city that the bot had known about, and there had no doubt been more. Some she lived at for a day or two, others for weeks. She had crashed in all kinds of unowned buildings in all kinds of neighborhoods, ranches and bungalows, Spanish and craftsman-style houses, two apartments and even Unit 32 of the Holiday Inn on Great Randolph Street. The only good news was that she had come back to several of them, which meant that if only I could be in eleven places at once, I might have a chance of catching up with her before Christmas. I ran the vid again, and then, since I had to get Aisa in half an hour, I played a hunch. I tried the call that the bot had given me. As predicted, I got Anne's message. She had one of those rumbling, hormone-soaked voices that live in the basement next to the furnace. Hi, this is Andy. I'm here, but I'm avoiding someone I don't like. Leave me a message, and if I don't call back, it's you. So, Anne was an Andy now. It seemed we had attitude in common. Andy, I said, this is Faye at Market 03284. You don't know me, but I saw you throwing a football around the other day, and I was wondering if you'd be interested in trying out for a flag football team, the Bad Grills. We play in the West Side League. It's not a big commitment to evening practices a week and a game every other Sunday during the season. Think about it, okay? We could use a stud like you. That's Faye at Market 03284. Thanks. It was a weak move, but it was the only one I had handy. Maud's bot was claiming that Andy Ann didn't pay attention to her messages. Maybe, but it cost money to keep a call live, and the one thing I knew for sure was that Andy Descano was looking for money. Could be that it was just Maud and her bot who were getting the freeze. And if Andy checked, she would find that the bad grills were in West Side. Sharifa had been their number three receiver and number one defensive back before she'd had Aisa. We still went to bad grill games once in a while. Then I put the case to bed for the night. Sharifa and I were working moms, and it was my turn to pick up the kid at daycare. Aisa was almost two years old, and I was still trying on motherhood to see if it fit. Sharifa was her birth mother. Me, I had gotten scrubbed the first and only time I'd been seated. Sharifa had wanted us to have my baby. The abortion nearly busted us up. But the thing was, I couldn't see then how I could be a P.I. and a parent at the same time. And the idea that the aliens, who had done for all the men, were planting an embryo in me without my asking, well, it filled me with stony rage. No kid needs a mom that angry. When Sharifa got seated with Aisa, though, things were different. I was different. Maybe I'm a better person now. <laughs> or not as good a detective. I locked my bike onto the rail of our front porch and trotted the three blocks to our local Precious Life Center. The bots had retrofitted several storefronts into a single space with big display windows so that passers-by could peer in and be reassured that womankind still had a future. No expense had been spared. The city always approved the budget of the Department of Youth Protection and Development. PLCs used to make me itch, 
They didn't exist when I was born, three years after the disappearance. When I was a kid, life was not particularly precious. When the devils first made contact, the population of the world was 7.3 billion. On the next Tuesday, it was 3.7. The grannies claimed that the men popped like soap bubbles. No muss, no fuss, no dust to dust. Estimates are that almost a billion women killed themselves or had died in accidents or riots or of starvation in the crazy years immediately after the disappearance. Decades later, we are still killing ourselves. Too many of my cases are about women who have decided to check out of this cocked world, often with no warning signs. Whenever I saw a mother and a daughter together in a precious life center, I couldn't help but worry that the mom was about to fold and maybe take the kid with her. Even though the staff kept it spotless, our PLC always smelled of curdling milk and baby oil. Peg Skovlar saw me come in and held a finger to her lips. I slipped off my joggers and padded across the toddler room. She pointed at Aisa, who was sitting in a nest of floor pillows with a board book about baby animals on her lap and a stack of others beside her. Ducky do quack quack quack, she said and turned the page. Meow, kitty. Another page. Doggy, doggy do it. Another. Monkey. Hoo, hoo, hoo. They don't usually read to themselves at this age, Peg whispered. You've got a smart girl there, Faye. Takes after her mother. I knew what Peg wanted me to feel, but I wasn't ever going to be that kind of parent. Yes, I would always be there to pick up my little mop-headed miracle whenever she fell, point her in the right direction, and teach her everything I knew about the road we were on. But love her? No. When you love someone, you must give them a bit of your truest self, and I had nothing but damage to offer this beautiful little creature. Sharifa could love her. I would protect her. Although she was only halfway through the book, Aisa shut it abruptly and pushed it impatiently off her lap. Maybe more book, she said to herself. No more books, Aisa, I said. Time to go home. Mommy Faye! The way her face lit up melted my bones. I dropped to my knees to hug her. Mommy Faye comes! She launched herself at me, scattering the books in every direction, and I stooped to catch her embrace. Maybe bye-bye? Everything was maybe with her these days. Soon, I said, but first we have to pick up the books for Peg. You don't want to leave a mess. No mess, okay. She bounced against my hip. Five. Again, Eggy. Aisa waved her spoon in command. Most of her supper was on the floor around her high chair. More egg, please, I said. Can you say egg? Peace. She grinned and offered me the spoon. Maybe Eggy again, peace? Sharifa said Eggy all the time but if my cop pals ever heard me saying eggy, I'd have to move to Saskatchewan. Aisa shrieked in delight when Sharifa came home, and as usual, the two of them flew into a hug. I watched from the kitchen pass-through, feeling the distance between me and them stretch. Aisa wriggled as her mother planted kisses on her forehead. I was damn sure that no one had ever been that glad to see me. It wasn't that I had a problem with the bond that my wife and our kids shared. I just had to get used to the idea that I had been pushed back to second in line with my lover. Supper was the arroz con pollo casserole that Sharifa had made on her last day off. She did the cooking because I never really learned. I was mostly schooled on the street, and home ec was not part of the curriculum. Sharifa told me about her patients at the ICU. Head trauma, heart attack, kidney failure. The Williams granny came off the ventilator and was moved to the second floor. I described my chat with Maud Descano. Sharifa was more interested in Descano's house than the new case. She actually moaned when I told her about the asparagus soup. Sharifa loves asparagus, but they're hideously expensive out of season. I promised I'd buy her a bunch with some of the $200 I'd got as a retainer. Meanwhile, Aisa whirled around the apartment, climbed onto our laps, crawled under the table, ate two bites of chiki, 
clattered saucepan covers out of the kitchen drawer, drank from her sippy cup, and chattered nonstop in no particular language at all. My sidekick chirped while Sharifa was giving Aisa her bath. The screen was blank, but a Jane with a squeaky voice said, Is this Faye at Market 03284? Speaking. You're looking for Andy Descano? Sure. There was a moment of silence, as if the caller were waiting for me to make the next move. I let her wait. It was her call. How did you get this number? She said. Put Andy on. He doesn't want to play for your football team. He? I liked that. Why not? The uniforms are really cute. She sniffed. Is this about the old lady? Look, Jane, I need to talk to Andy. My sidekick displayed the list of skip houses the bot had given me for Anne, now Andy Descano. Are you still at the place on Chestnut? It was the one she, now he, had crashed at the most often. I can be there in half an hour. He's not here. Well, what if we wait together until he comes back? Who is this again? Nobody. She broke the connection. I stared at my sidekick for a moment, hoping it would offer me a clue as to what I ought to do. If I went to the skip on Chestnut, there was no guarantee that anyone would be there when I arrived, but it was my first real lead. The door to the bathroom was ajar, and I peeked around it. Sharifa knelt beside the tub where Aisa ruled as queen of the bubble bath. Her subjects, dolphin, duck, whale, starfish, crab, shark, and seahorse, bobbed around her. A crown of suds dribbled down mats of her dark hair. Mommy Faye, watch! She scooped a plastic cup into the water and dumped it over her head, sputtering and laughing hysterically. Rinsies! She wiped suds from her eyes. Aisa, do rinsies! You're the brave one, Aisa. I lifted my voice a half octave so she'd know how pleased I was. Rinsies all by yourself. Such a big girl. While she preened, I caught Sharifa's attention and twirled my index finger. Where? she said. Out. Just got a call. The Descano girl? I nodded. Apparently, she's a he. Do you have to? She cocked her head to one side and let a smile steal across her face. I was thinking of putting her to bed soon. I knew that smile. It used to keep me up nights. Aisa was splashing in annoyance. Maybe not bed, not soon. We like the water in the tub, Aisa. I knew who was going to win this one, so I stooped to give Sharifa a kiss goodbye. Her face was tight with disappointment. I've got a twelve-hour shift tomorrow, she said. Can't wait up. Sorry. I brushed her cheek with my forefinger. Married to our jobs. Bye, Aisa. I blew her a kiss. Not bed. Aisa was still negotiating. I left them to it. Sharifa was a doctor, I told myself, and a mommy. I was a P.I. Missing each other was part of our deal. And that's all for now. You have been listening to part two of The Last Judgment, which first appeared on the cover of the March-April issue of Asimov's science fiction magazine. Our reader is Genevieve Achel. I know that it is all my fault for taking a prolonged leave of absence without your permission, dear listeners, but I can't help but notice that the number of you who are following Faye on this new adventure has fallen precipitously from the heyday of the Free Reads podcast. And I know, as they say on the airlines, that you have a choice when it comes to listening to podcasts. And I am grateful that you have chosen this one. If you are enjoying The Last Judgment, how about mentioning it with a link on Facebook or Twitter or Goodreads or G+. Ah, oh, poor G+. 
or whatever social media you favor. I'd appreciate it if you'd help spread the word. And don't forget to come back next week when Faye's case takes a grisly turn on the Free Reads Podcast. <laughs>